The following recording was produced by Christ Redeemer Church of Hanover, New Hampshire. The speaker is Doug Cooper. You may find more information on the church and its various resources on the web at www.christredeemerchurch.org. The sermon passage is Psalm 37, 1 through 11, 23 to 29, and 35 to 40. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. I have been young, and now I am old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsake for his children begging for for bread. He is ever lending generously, and his children become a blessing. Turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. I have seen a wicked, ruthless man spreading himself like a green laurel tree, but he passed away, and behold, he was no more. Though I sought him, he could not be found. Mark the blameless, and behold the upright. For there is a future for the man of peace, but transgressors shall be altogether destroyed. The future of the wicked shall be cut off. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. This ends the reading of God's Word. Thanks again, Joe. Well, we are finishing up our summer. I hate to tell you, you know this already, right? Uh, Our summer's coming to an end. Therefore, our summer series in the Psalms is uh, quickly coming to a close. Next Sunday will actually be our last Sunday in the Psalms. And in case you're interested in, you know, hey, what's, what's coming next? 
Um, From there, we're going to begin a sermon series in Paul's epistle to the church in Galatia. So that's exciting. So uh, something to look forward to. More on that to come. But for this morning, we're looking at Psalm 37. And this is a unique psalm in in a lot of ways, I think. For instance, I'll just give you uh, one example. Uh, Unlike many psalms, this psalm from David speaks to its readers all the way through. All the way through, it speaks to its readers. In other words, David, he doesn't address God directly at any point over the course of this very long psalm. And it's a long psalm. I mean, we don't have the entire psalm on the page because I couldn't fit it. I'm just being honest. Instead, um, th- this, this psalm is completely directed towards us, towards the hearers, towards the readers. And in part, it's because this is what you call a wisdom psalm. All right, it's meant to be instructional. David here is teaching us. In fact, in its original language, in in the Hebrew, this uh, comes to us in the form of an acrostic poem working through the Hebrew alphabet. Uh, And so by its very nature, this sort of a psalm is intended to be memorable. That's why it comes in the form of a poem. It's intended to be, therefore, instructional. It's meant to enlighten us. Well, how, you might ask? Here's a few things. As a wisdom psalm, Psalm 37 is teaching us how to see things. How, how so? How is this uh, meant to be enlightening and, and instructional to us? Here's a few things. As a wisdom psalm, Psalm 37 is teaching us how to see things. It's very simple. I mean, this is how wisdom often comes to us. It's, it's intended to help us see things. David is teaching us how to live, actually, how to respond to the challenges of life, how to respond to challenging people and situations. You probably caught on to this, that there's a lot of that in here. Um, then, uh, most importantly, and right in step with all the things that I just said, actually, it's teaching us how to walk with God. And if you want to get even more specific than that, you could say it's teaching us how to walk with God patiently. How to patiently walk with God. David here is teaching us how to develop a patient trust in the Lord. The last time that I I preached here, my message was focused on waiting on the Lord. Uh, This message could very easily be called Waiting on the Lord Part 2. We actually looked at a segment a small segment of this psalm at the time, as well as many others. Um, however, the, the title of this message, as you're probably seeing if you're looking at the page, is Trusting in the Lord. And here is a beginning thought on this. If you're here this morning and you want to know God and to walk with God, then somehow you will need to learn how to trust him. Perhaps this is obvious, right? But it needs to be said. We need to hear that. We need to know that. That somehow we need to learn to trust him. This is something that we always need to grow and develop in. And and, and this is a lot like muscles. If you've been around this summer, you know that we've been talking a lot about exercising the muscles of our faith. All summer long we've been doing this. Muscles, if you don't use them regularly, they will quickly tend towards atrophy. They easily become weak without use. So this is a way that we need to exercise our faith is by learning how to develop in our trust. 
But knowing this David, using wisdom literature here, he's teaching us how to do this, how to develop a patient trust because he knows that we're going to need it. You know that you need it. In this life, we will inevitably need to entrust many difficult things into, into his care. Somehow we, we have to find a way to do this. We'll have to learn how to wait, we're being told here. This is not an easy thing to do. To live with uncertainty, to live in this like complicated tension between life and faith, to live with difficulty and hardship, to navigate unfair things. This is so much of what the Psalm's about. How to navigate unfair things, unjust things, uneven things. These are the sorts of things that David is referencing here for us throughout this entire psalm. All the while encouraging us to walk with God with patience and trust. Now let's just be honest at this point, if we could. What could be harder than this? There are few things in our lives that are as hard to do is what I'm suggesting David is encouraging us to do here. Just think of it. I mean, just think of different dimensions of this. Living in limbo. It's the worst. Having lingering, unanswered questions, unresolved situations in our lives. Anyone can relate to this, right? And anyone can relate to how difficult that is. And so let me just ask here at the start, I'm not trying to, to like be difficult, in asking these questions, but it's helpful. Just a little bit of a self-assessment. Do you consider yourself to be a patient person? You might be. I'm, when I giggled, I was thinking about myself, just so you know. Do you consider yourself to be a patient person? Are you patient with others? Are you patient with yourself? Are you patient with the circumstances that you find going on in your life? Are you patient? Do you find it easy to trust? To trust others, to trust God, to entrust difficult things, precious things into his care without immediate answers and resolutions. And again, these things are all so very hard, even impossible, I would argue. And so how do we do them? We're being asked to do them. How do we become a more patient and a more trusting people? And from start to finish here, David's approach to this is to appeal to us with wisdom. With wisdom. This is an interesting tactic. In some ways, this psalm sounds like it could have come straight out of the book of Proverbs, if you're really listening for it. At length, what's he talking about? At length, he's talking about the righteous and the unrighteous. Very much the sort of thing that you hear in the book of Proverbs. Or, without using these exact words, it talks to us, Psalm 37 talks to us about the wise and the foolish. How do we grow and develop in patient trust? And in part, at least, it begins with wisdom. It begins with knowledge and perspective. In other words, we need to see the world, we need to see our lives through God's eyes, from his perspective through the eyes of God. When Solomon tells us early on in the book of Proverbs that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, what he means is that everything must begin with him. Everything, acknowledging him, growing in familiarity with him, growing in familiarity with his words and with his ways, knowing him, having an accurate 
a reverent view of him, that's where wisdom begins and ends. And so no surprise here, David is, a, it is trying to help us to see the world, to see our, eyes, our lives through the eyes of God. Okay? He provides us with some of his vantage points, God's vantage points on these things. And so that's how we're going to approach this message this morning. We're going we're to consider viewpoints, vantage points. There's three of them that I see David sharing with us here. First off, he encourages us to have a long view, a long view of the world, a long view of our lives. In order to have patient trust, we can't see things through a short lens. We need a long view. That's one. Second, he encourages us to have a vertical view. We can't just live in the horizontal. We have to look up. We need a vertical view. Then lastly, we need an outward view, patient trust, must be active trust, a trust that has hands, feet, at work in the world. So again, wisdom would tell us that we need a long, we need a vertical, and we need an outward view. So let me take a little drink and then we'll, we'll have a look. By the way, I hate to break it to you, but this is our last Sunday in here today. I figured I should tell you that more towards the front of our service so that you can really enjoy it, okay? Um, and if that discourages you, I'm going to encourage you to have a long view of the situation, <laughs> all right? Okay, so beginning with a long view, and this is where some of the stronger features of wisdom literature really come through in this psalm, I think. There, there is this very clear sense here of the wise way of seeing the world and seeing our lives and then contrasted with that, this foolish way. You might say this foolish way of seeing the world and seeing our lives. So to get started, please look back with me at verses 1 and 2. David puts his finger on something immediately. He says, verse 1, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. So right out of the gate, David is identifying a particular vantage point. And in addition to that, he's identifying a way of understanding what it is that we're seeing from that vantage point. So let's see if we can relate to this, what he's talking about here. Let's see if we can relate it all. So from whatever perch David has us on right now, we're looking out and we're seeing other people in the world going about things in ways that are deeply troubling, right? Evildoers and wrongdoers, he says. And these folks are referenced over and over again from beginning to end in this psalm. For instance, look at verse 7 through 9 as well. Just tack on a little bit further. Verse 7, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And so this is, this is the vantage point. Tough to relate to, right? 
looking out into the world and seeing folks who seem to be going about their lives in ways that we find troubling, engaging in matters that we feel are wrong, unjust, doing things that we might even classify as evil, that probably never happens to you. You, you probably don't have this kind of an experience. You know? I mean, this must have been just very specific to David's time. Like, we're, we live in a much more civilized age. We don't... You guys should be smiling with me. I'm being sarcastic. And so, tough to relate to, but we'll just have to use our imaginations. I was hoping we might find something relevant here. No. Um, very funny, Doug. Obviously, we can relate to this. Obviously, we can all relate to this. In the information world that we live in, it's nearly impossible to get through a single day without being deeply troubled by the choices, by the actions of others in the world. It's troubling. So that's a vantage point, right? This is a vantage point that we can identify with. It's a view. But how do we take it in? This is what David's really getting at. This is like the thing beneath the thing. And that's the first thing that David is really challenging us on here. In fact, and this is an odd way to start any kind of like article of writing, I, I, I would say. He begins by saying, first words out of his mouth, fret not. And he repeats it several times, if you're looking. And I think he might have our number here on this. Fret not. Uh, do you, by, by the way, I shouldn't assume that we all know what this means. Do you know what it means? Fret not. One commentator that I came across uh, in an effort to try to like put it into contemporary language said that um, it's, it's along the lines of don't get heated. Okay, It's like it's as if David, right out of the gate, is beginning, in the, beginning the psalm and he's saying, don't get heated. Don't get spitting mad. Don't blow your fuse. Don't blow your top. Again, not a lot to relate to here, right? David knows what we're seeing. He knows perhaps what we're experiencing, and he's challenging our responses. Do you see? And this is tough because what David is suggesting is that just because we're seeing and experiencing something that may be deeply wrong, that it doesn't entitle you and I to be angry about it all the time, to be complaining about it all the time, to be spitting mad, fretting all the time. He's saying, cool down. Isn't he? He provides a rationale for this too. He appeals to us with wisdom. Verse 8, he says, Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. In other words, don't be a fool. That's what I'm talking about. Don't be a fool. That response is counterproductive. That response plays right into the very thing that you find so troubling. It tends only to evil. Don't play the fool, is what David's saying to us. And he puts his finger on another response, not just this one. And this seems like an odd one. It seems like an odd pairing. He pairs up anger with envy. Back to verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't get heated. And then he says, be not envious of wrongdoers. In other words, don't want what they have. Don't be jealous. Well, why might that happen? Does David touch on that? Does he give any insights into that? Why might that happen? Look at verse 7 again. Be still before the Lord 
and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Why might we envy these individuals that trouble us? And it's because they're doing really well. <laughs> they're going about things in the wrong ways, and it seems to be like really paying off for them somehow. They're making it. They're living, I'm just using my imagination here, right? They're living in nicer homes than you. They're driving nicer cars than you. They're getting more notoriety than you, maybe. More promotions in the office than you, perhaps. More friends and influence than you have. This is, you can see why like, this combination actually does work, right? David says, don't play the fool. Don't feed those responses. Don't do it. It only tends to evil. And then he provides us with what you might call the long view. If you've been waiting for it, like what is it? What's the long view? The long view of the situation. This is the true wisdom that he shares with us. And he says this about a dozen times in about a dozen different ways throughout this, these, these 40 verses. But look back with me at verse 9 for one example. Don't respond that way, he says. Why, David? He says, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. And then he says in verse 10, in just a little while, and we just got to hit time out on that for a minute, okay? He says in just a little while, what does he mean when he says just a little while? I think he likely means um, like a few more decades. I mean, you could argue he might even mean just a few more centuries, everybody, just a little while. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there, but the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. Long view. And the reason why I say that this may include a time frame much longer than even like years or decades, maybe even centuries, is because some of the other ways that he words this, you don't have it printed here, I'm sorry for that, but I'm going to read you verse 18. It says, the Lord knows the days of the blameless and their heritage will remain forever. How about verses 27 through 29? You do have that printed for you, by the way. It says this, turn away from evil and do good. So shall you dwell forever. For the Lord loves justice. He will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever. But the children of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. All this forever language going on here this eternal perspective, this long view. In other words, what I think David is saying here is if we could just see, if we could just see down the corridors of time, if we could have the eyes of faith to imagine this, if we could not have, if I could put it this way, a simple, like temporal, reactionary sort of a view of things, but instead, if we could have a long view of things that anticipates the ways in which God will work, the promises that God has made that will eventually come true in the world and in our lives, then we wouldn't be so apt to get so angry, to get so spitting mad, to get so heated, to get so anxious, to be so envious. 
in adopting this long view is a way of embracing patient trust. It's a way of embracing patient trust. You see this? I'd love to spend more time on this. I think maybe next week I will. I'd really like to spend some time maybe next week looking at this phrase, inherit the land, how that relates to the New Testament. So tuck that in your hat. But how do we arrive at this long view that we've been talking about? And the only way to gain a long view is by beginning with a vertical view. And this puts us in to our second point. We just considered a long view, now a vertical view. In order to see further out, we have to first look up. I'm not trying to confuse you here. This is figurative language I'm using. Notice how this gets highlighted in verses 3 through 7. David, he turns our attention away from evildoers. He turns our attention away from wrongdoers by turning our attention toward God. Verse 3, trust in the Lord. Verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord. Verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light. And your justice is the noonday. He'll vindicate your difficult situations. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You see? When we find ourselves obsessing over all of the things that are wrong with the world, over all of the individuals that we feel are the root cause of all of the wrong that's going on in the world, around us, under our roof maybe, rolling it around and around in our minds, playing these skits out in our heads, the only way out, and I would suggest that you need to get out, the only way out is to look up. Again, David isn't getting philosophical with us here. He's sharing wisdom. Wisdom. And wisdom, contrary to what you, you and I might think, is often, it's not so complicated as you might imagine. It's often quite simple. David is saying, put your fretting and your envying away. And do so by turning your attention to him. This is what he's suggesting. This is wisdom. Put that off. Put this on instead. Look to him. Trust him. Delight in him. Delight yourself in him. This is so critical. This idea. Like if we're just perseverating in anger and gnashing our teeth. Delight yourself in him. What did Paul and Silas do? Do you know the book of Acts? Paul and Silas when they were unjustly shut away in this dark dungeon of a prison cell, what did they do? Were they grumbling, complaining about their captors, shouting, unjust, we must be released. No, what were they doing? Do you know? They were singing. They were singing. They were singing songs of praise. They were praying. They had mercy on their captor. When they could have ran off, they stayed. They led their captor and his family to faith in Christ. Totally different kinds of scenarios than what our impulses might be. They delighted themselves in the Lord. And David tells us also to commit our way to the Lord. The idea here is that we entrust. We entrust our lives. We entrust our situations. To him, we willingly and intentionally put them, we, we, take, we take them out of our hands, we put them into his hands. We, we unpack our burdens on him. We roll them over to him. 
We unburden ourselves. He desires, by the way. If you're like, man, I don't want to. I mean, this is kind of what we tend to say if we're just thinking on the horizontal. I don't want to burden anybody. I don't want to trouble anybody with all my junk. That's not how it works with him. He desires for us to unburden ourselves on him. He asks us to roll these things his way, to commit our way to him. He's not put out by this. He's inexhaustible in his strength and in his compassion. He can handle it. Commit your ways to him. Your struggles at work. Just trying to give us some, you know, some categories here. Whatever it might be. Your, your struggles at work. Things that seem unjust. Things that seem unfair. Things that seem uneven. Difficult relationships. Don't let them fester within you. Unpack them. Roll them over. Commit them to the Lord. And then the next instruction that we get, wait on him. Wait patiently. Have a patient trust towards him. By the way, I just want to be clear. Things may not change, whatever it is that you might be committing to him. Things may not change quickly. Things may not change. Things may not go perfectly, but get this. This is very helpful. Look at verses 23 and 24 with me. David says, The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Though he fall... He shall not be cast headlong, for the Lord upholds his hand. Things may not change quickly. Things may not go perfectly. You may fall, but if you know him, he's got you. You fall upon him. He's holding you. He will uphold you. You see? And before we move on, let me just, I'm going to put this another way, just as a way of kind of summing up this point on this vertical view. All of this, specifically verses three through seven, I would say, all of this is a proclamation of liberation. He's setting you free. You see? It says, you have permission not to fret. You have permission to lay down these burdens. You have permission, or better yet, I should probably put this differently, you are being given an invitation. God is inviting you to hand these troubles over to to him, to the one who can actually handle them. You can't handle them, but he can. And therefore, the reasonable thing to do in this situation, the wise thing to do in this situation, is to entrust them into his hands hands. This is wisdom from above. Right? So we considered the long view. We considered the vertical view. Now in closing, the outward view. Another way of putting off and putting on is to put your trust to work. This is a big part of this psalm. It's a big part of the psalm. Okay? Look at verse 3. Trust the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. All right? One way that we can exercise patient trust is by doing good. 
One way that we can know that we're exercising harmonious, patient trust with the Lord is by doing good work, doing good to others, doing good with our hands, doing good at our jobs, doing good in our homes. Question, how can we know that our work is in harmony with him? How can we know that our work is flowing out of a patient trust? And I'll say this, I think that there's, there are two ways to, to work. There's two ways that we can go about our lives. I'll start with a negative and then I'll move to the positive. So our, our native, you could say, if, if, we, if you could say that we have a native religion, like a native way about us, a native way that we function, you could say that it's to work, to earn. To work to earn, in this case, God's favor. To work to earn God's care, his provision, his protection, you name it. Whatever this laundry list that you maybe have, it's to work to earn it from him. In a way, you could say, trying to manipulate him, trying to force his hand, trying to corner him, trying to cause him to give you the things that you think that you need. What's a different way? That's one way. What's the flip side of that? By the way, these things can look the same on the outside, but the way that they're being conducted on the inside couldn't be more different. The other way I would refer to is the gospel way. The gospel way. The other way of, of working is a trusting work that is built upon, and this is where we're bringing this psalm into the New Testament and applying Christ to it, a work that is built upon the finished work of Christ. You understand? The firm foundation that he's laid for us in the gospel. It says, I can't earn God's favor, but he has provided his favor to me in a sacrificial loving act. He's, he's given it. I don't have to force his hand open. Instead, he is a generous God who freely gives. I don't need to pry his hands open. His hands are outspread. This is a generous God. I can rest in the work that he's done. I can trust him in light of the work that he's done. I can trust him more than I can trust myself and my own mixed up ideas about all the ways that things have to go in all these different situational circumstances. And the way that I can actively do that is by doing good and faithful work that is the work of a liberated person, a liberated man a liberated woman. If you are in Christ, what does that mean? If you are in Christ, that means that you have a firm foundation beneath your feet. Your life is built upon the rock. Though troubles may come, and they surely will, you know this, I don't need to tell you this, though you may fall, you won't fall headlong. Because the ground that you fall upon is sure, it's certain, it's eternal. You may not possess the land right now, and we're going to get into this again more next week. But if you'll wait patiently, one day you will surely inherit the earth. And so, in the words of Christ, be meek, be patient, work with love, work with excellence, work with trust. You're no longer working to prove yourself. If you're in Christ, you're no longer on the proving ground. 
I know I'm saying the same thing over and over, but I'm just trying to like drill down because sometimes I just, I don't think that this registers with us in the ways that it needs to. Nothing is on the line if we're in him. All of your work can be a work of response, not of desperation because of the finished work of Christ. All of your life, therefore, can become an act of praise. All that you do. Your your work no longer has to be burdensome to you. It can be liberated. You don't have to look at your work as though it's stealing from you, as though it's taking from you. Instead, you can see it as an opportunity to respond to the good work of God. And I'll, I'll, I'll just add this in. You don't have it printed there, but verse 21, I love this. It says, the wicked borrows, but does not pay back. But the righteous is generous in gives. By the way, you cannot give what you have not received. So this is what David's talking about. He's talking about somebody who has received, who has experienced the generosity, the kindness, the abundance of God, and is therefore liberated. You know, it's just, it's such a temptation to just take what we've got and to just pull it in as close as we can and to just cling to it tightly. But to have patient trust in the Lord, to have this long view, to have this vertical view allows us to have this outward view that sees others and says, hey, those are some needs. I can fill those needs. I have the resources to meet that need. I'm going to do it. And this will be an act of worship on my part. For Christ has been so good to me. He's given so much. Why? Let's get specific. Because we know that Jesus spared no expense to redeem us. He took the greatest risk of all. We can take risks because we have such sure footing beneath us. Jesus took the greatest risk of all. He risked his life. And if you want to get technical, that's an unfair statement. It's an inaccurate depiction of Christ. He didn't actually risk anything. He had perfect faith in his heavenly father that he could lay down his life and that he could take it up again. He had perfect faith that the father would honor his sacrifice and that it would result in the redemption of many so that for the joy set before him, he could endure the shame, he could endure the misery of the cross, and so he laid everything down. It wasn't a risk. He, he had patient trust in the father. He had a long view that this is going to pay off. In closing... Let's just look at the last two verses here. Verse 39. The salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. What is required? I've said this so many times before. A weak faith that patiently entrusts itself to the one who's strong. The salvation comes from the Lord because they take refuge in him. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for this this unique psalm of, of wisdom that so speaks to our condition, so speaks to 
many of the things that we struggle with. God, I pray that my friends would be encouraged by what's here this morning. I pray that they would be enlightened. I pray that you would enlighten me. Would you allow this wisdom to just ripple out, to continue to have its effect? God, we thank you for the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. Help us to worship him in response to that. In his name we pray, amen.